Welcome to an Upside Down World. The podcast from T-Fund Australia with your hosts, Joel McCarrow and Grace Nahum. All of these podcast episodes come from various places throughout Australia. Uh, I am in Melbourne, uh, which is has been known in the past as Nam from the Indigenous people, and I want to pay my respects to the traditional custodians of this land, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. And I am based in what is now known as Cronulla, which is a part of the Sutherland Shire, and I pay my respects to the elders past and present of the Darawal Nation. This week on the podcast, we'll be hearing from Uncle Ray, an Indigenous elder and pastor who many of you will know. And we'll be chatting through the second beatitude found in Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It sounds like we're going to be having an exciting episode. (laughs) Really joyful. Can't wait. Um, If you're getting the Tear Fund Lent series cards, you'll be able to see some of the interviews on the back of the card, as well as a prayer from Uncle Ray. But to start off with, we will be sharing a poem from Joel, a really beautiful poem. Thank you. Um, It's reflecting on the life of Rachel, who had to flee from southern Sudan into Uganda. Her picture is on the second week card as well. Let's hear Joel's poem entitled... The Weeping God. I was 24 years old when I stood beneath the weeping willow in a refugee camp in northern Uganda. White skin amongst the brown and the many who fled there from the war in Sudan. They knew weeping, like the tree we gathered under, like the sky breaking over, like the wounded God who weeps for his well. And I was there to help them, those who had lost everything. I never did meet Rachel in that camp, though I heard her story much later, so similar to so many, a dislocation from her home and her land. The contrast of our lives could not be more stark. Me, white boy from rich suburb with a whole world laid out for the taking. She, forced to flee across a dangerous border, leave her South Sudan farmland, holding nine children, six her own, three from family members killed. Now on her hips, under her feet, holding her hands, dragging along the ground, and she pulling them, pulling them, pulling them all to safety. She knew weeping like that bent over willow, like the sky breaking under the weight of heavy rain like the wounded god like the wounded god she walked for three days like the wounded god and still she does not know what happened to her husband i remember years before and the people under the weeping willow all pleading and crying out for they had run out of food and sickness was rife in that camp and they were all squeezed into such a tiny space and all i could think was what do i have to offer them I ever have to offer them and I remember it was actually them who offered to pray for me them who had nothing and me seemingly everything me who had come to help them them now helping me see clearer me kneeling on the ground now them praying now laying hands upon me now under the tree and it's another moment that proves the flipped script of existence this upside down reality their empathy they knew weeping like the tree we gathered under like the sky breaking like the wounded God 
Like the wounded god who comes to the weeping, yet still I run from the pain, and still they're forced to sit in the pain, and somewhere there now is Rachel taking care of all those children. Resilience is really just a word for me. Just the slight notion of pushing through under difficulty. Resilience for her. A word couldn't even begin to describe it. Her strength through what she went through is going through. Rachel has started in a trauma recovery group and it's a space of comfort and it's a journey of healing and the children are in schooling and the farmer in her is still alive. She still wants to cultivate the land for she knows that in the soil of violence and fear, even here where the weeping tears flow to the ground, they they may feed the seeds of hope. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted by the weeping God beneath the weeping willow in the arms of the other. We find ourselves always, too, in the arms of God, this wounded God, this weeping God, like the tree we gathered under, like the sky breaking over, like Rachel. Like Rachel, so blessed, Rachel. Pastor Ray Minikin will be known to many of you who are listening to this podcast. He is a favourite in our circles. Uh, I love it. Every time I get to chat uh, to Uncle Ray, uh, he opens my eyes, especially as a white man sitting in here. Uh, getting to listen to Indigenous elders is, is probably one of the most important things I can do, let's be honest. And so for me to... Uh, get to listen as Uncle Ray shares about weeping and mourning. Mm-hmm. Um, Grace and I just found this such an amazing, amazing interview. Um, Pastor Ray's a, a prominent Christian leader in Australia with a background in Indigenous ministries, chaplaincy and pastoral care, uh, funding support programs, and acting as an advisor to academic and church institutions. Um, he's a descendant of the Kabi Kabi Nation and the Gurung Gurung Nation of Southeast Queensland. Uh, and Ray's also a descendant of the South Sea Islander people with connections to the people of Ambram Island. Um, I hope you get so much uh, out of listening to this interview with Uncle Ray. It's so good to be sitting here with uh, Uncle Ray and with Grace, uh, both of them up in Sydney, myself down in Melbourne um, for our second, I think this is our second now um, week of Lent and week of the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uncle, most people kind of listening to this would know who you are. Um, there might be a few who don't, but maybe I'd, I'd love to hear for those who, who know who you are and for those who don't know who you are, it'd just be great to hear maybe what, what's, what are you passionate about at the moment? What's stirring in your heart at the moment? I think it's just uh, understanding God's kingdom. Mm. Uh, I've always been passionate about that and I've always been passionate about 
ways in which I can be obedient to his call mm. and the leading of his spirit in whatever things I put my hand to mm. um, rather than trying to follow a script. Because, <laughs> mm. you know, I, I, I love uh, reading the story of Jesus we yeah. didn't have, I don't know if he had a script, but he was led by the spirit, and that was the script. Mm. Yeah. And he just went about his business in communities and with people in various places. Uh, and I like that freedom. That, that to me is very indigenous. You know, you just go walk about and you do good things. Mm. <laughs> wow. And Paul was the same too. Paul didn't have a, you know, a home based church where he built his little empire. Mm. He went and I think followed the example of Jesus and went about um, transforming the lives, not only of individuals like Jesus did, but also of communities mm. and establishing this thing called church. And uh, that to me has always been a fascination and a, it will be a continuous study uh, for me anyways in my life. Yeah. The church is not God's kingdom, but it's a part of uh, his purpose for all humankind. Mm. Yes. I love that. I love um, the idea of just that um, open listening posture that, you know, you're not distracted by what's the right thing to do by your plan for today. You're um, you're so open to interruptions and it just seems like Jesus was just so open to interruptions and some of the most life-giving moments have uh, in the Bible are through, are through those beautiful interruptions. Oh, most definitely, yeah. You, you can't sort of... Uh, uh, you know, prepare a good sermon for those moments. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, well, this year during Lent, we're taking time to focus on the Beatitudes. What do the Beatitudes mean for you during this time in the lead up to Easter, Uncle Ray? Uh, I've, I think it's just not the Beatitudes, it really is the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. You've got to look at it from that complete yeah. perspective from Matthew 5 right through chapter chapter 5 through, through to chapter 7. You've got to take the whole thing into its context. And it is a really powerful narrative that, for me, places the... Uh, the constitution, the rules, and the bylaws of God's kingdom. It puts it right into perspective. Mm. And so the whole of the Beatitudes, and well, and, and the Sermon on the Mount and the prayer, that really is the foundation stones of what God's kingdom is all about. And if we miss that, we've missed the whole point of it. Mm. And sad, sad to say that sometimes we've used these stories well, this whole narrative actually to teach our Sunday school kids, and I think that's the that that's good. It's great to help our children come to grips with uh, the teachings of the Lord. But he wasn't talking to children; 
Mm. He was talking to adults. He was talking to his disciples. He was talking about a whole range of incredibly powerful uh, thinkings and and uh, not just philosophy but practices, practical stuff. Mm. Uh, and it's all practical. Uh, it's like he's this is his uh, Ten Commandments that he went up the top of the hill, but Moses, you know, in comparison to Moses. Yes. This yeah. is Jesus's. Ten Commandments. This is His law that is written in our hearts. Um, you know, I think we've we we haven't really really studied it from that particular perspective. This is God's governance. Mm. This is governance at its best. And if you look at it through those eyes, then you get a different, completely different perspective on what uh, His kingdom looks like mm. in comparison to what His church should be. Compare this the the this this whole story here in the whole of that uh, Sermon on the Mount with the church, there is no comparison unless you put it in the context of the kingdom of God. There's thinking about it through like um, the Indigenous lens of Indigenous protocol and stuff. Is it similar to that in some way? Oh, yeah. The law is in the land. Yeah, yeah. Our law's always been there, L-A-W as well as L-O-R-E. And, right. and this is like, like uh, God putting his land rights his mm. laws in the land, but it's mm. in the hearts of our people, of his people. Mm. It's just that we haven't seen it as his way of uh, helping us to come to grips with what his kingdom is all about. We're going to focus in for a little bit today on um, the, the second beatitude in the context of all of that. Um, of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, uh, is the beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, you've just you've just said to us before we were chatting and you're like, I've just come back from overseas and I've already had this funeral and I've got this funeral and I've got this sorry business coming up. Mm. Um, <laughs> so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of mourning, I think, probably that you have to sit in the midst of. Um, my first reaction as I read this, as I read any of the Beatitudes, because they're kind of this playoff of um, kind of this juxtaposition that you have, the blessed are the mourners, it's kind of a jarring thing. So I read them and I'm like, well, it's nice, but really, is it like mm. are really, are they really actually blessed, those who mourn? Like that tension is a hard one to hold on to. I'm wondering if you can speak to that, Ray, from your experience. Um, about just about this beatitude in general does, and kind of that, that tension of are they really blessed, <laughs> the mourners, because it's hard to see that. It's hard to own that. Totally. Well, look, uh, lament, lament or lamentations is, is a very much a part of the, uh, the power, I think, of the whole of scriptures, mm. um, the, this ability to feel uh, the loss of something. And uh, if, if we don't experience loss, how do we experience what Christ has to offer? Also, one of the, one of the most powerful moments around mourning in the, in, in the Gospels also is, is Jesus at uh, uh, Lazarus's funeral service. Um, and at that funeral service, this is the only place where you'll see Jesus weeping. Mm. And so Jesus wept. 
at a funeral service for his you know, friend, his brother, his loved one. Uh, and yet at that funeral service also, it's the thing that sparked one of the most powerful things that came out of the Lord's mouth. And says, he just said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. Mm. And so you have this juxtaposition too. One, here's Jesus weeping for the dead, for his mate. But also he is also declaring that he is the resurrection and the life. And in, in order to show that and demonstrate that, he you know, calls uh, Lazarus forth out of that, uh, out of his tomb. And there, the, there you have some very powerful thoughts around uh, lamentations and what that mm -hmm. means to, to, to God himself. That he comes to our, all of our, our uh, sorry business. He's there in the midst of it all. Mm. He's there suffering with us. He's mm. there in the valley of dry bones. He's there in the deserts with us. Is there in all of these really complex and complicated places where there is so much pain and struggle and strife mm. that he sits within the center of that. <clears throat> He's not away from it. And there he is weeping with us. Mm. Um, it's just that we don't see him in that light. Yeah. Yes, yeah. totally. We, we focus on the blessed rather than the mourning. Yes. And we focus on the comfort. I want to be comforted. I don't want to be in this state. <laughs> Yeah, get me out of here as get quickly as you can. Yeah, but if you if you uh, if we look around us and observe, there's so much pain and suffering. Mm. There's so many people who are in mourning, and uh, that's why I say I've moved me. I've had to move me pulpit down into the down into the uh, the graveside because that's where our people are at. Mm. They're there every week. Yeah. And, uh, I have another pastor friend, an Aboriginal pastor friend in another community. You know, in the last uh, two to three months, he's done over 20 funerals. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Now, and four of those have been suicides. And I know what that's like. I mean, you know, I've, I've, my year started with a young bloke who suicided. And then it went on to another suicide and a mother. And... Uh, when you're standing in in the midst of all of that suffering and that uh, that crying and that weeping and that loss, mm. you have to look and say, "Well, here's Jesus weeping with us," mm. but He's also saying to us, "I am the resurrection and the life too." Mm. Uh, in the midst of all this story business.
catch a glimpse. I don't want to be weary. There's too much to do, and I want to be used. But if words are required, now's not really the time. I think I can only muster one. For now, I'll just say, help, and you'll know what I mean. And then you say, come. Maybe that's all we need. And perhaps that's where the blessing really is, is that in the midst of our, in the midst of mourning, in the midst of those dark times, um, gives us the uh, humility, the surrender enough to recognise Jesus as present with us, like mm. that the divine actually reaches into our mess and our broken and our hurting and our pain and sits with us there in that place that we don't have to escape it but brings us comfort there, that I definitely can see that as the the place of blessing, not that God takes us out of out of the morning and the hard places, but actually meets us in there. Perhaps that is the blessing. Yeah. There was a uh, um, an Australian researcher, uh, just forget his name, Glenn Albreached, I think. Mm. And he was doing some research on some farmers. Uh, up here, I think in the in the Newcastle area or some other areas where you know the coal mines had come in and rip all their land apart and they were put off country. Mm. And he came up with this incredible term called I don't know if you you've heard of it, solstalgia. Mm. I haven't heard of it. No. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's a terminology that he came up with that talks about the homesickness you have when you are still at home but you can't you know it's the traumas of losing connection with any side of your country and not even being a part of your land anymore and uh, his his research highlights the the mental and spiritual trauma of being disconnected or estranged from country yeah um and uh, it, it's it, it's a very important you know study and it was done on non-Indigenous people. But for Indigenous people, we feel that all the yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Being estranged from country, being estranged from community, being estranged from culture, being estranged from all the things that make us who we are, mm. we suffer that every day. Mm. Yeah. But if you wanted to look at it from the bigger per- perspective, so, you know, blessed are those who suffer soul, soul whatever that word is again. Soul, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I can never pronounce it properly. <laughs> Solastalgia. Solastalgia. <laughs> Who are mourning because of their estrangement. If you put it into the bigger picture, the bigger theological picture, I think we all suffer from that because this is what happened in the in the garden. Mm. We've been estranged from our relationship with our creator. We've estranged our relationship with our creation and our responsibilities towards creation. Mm. And... Uh, um, th- therefore, we we're trying to get back to that place of uh, perfection again. Perfection might not be the right word, but completeness may be a better word. Mm. Where we don't feel that, and I guess if we go through the scriptures and we see at the end in the Book of Revelation, it's this God in amongst us, and there's no more weeping, no more crying, no more sorrow. 
uh, no more nostalgia, mm-hmm. <laughs> no more mourning. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to ask you, like, um, what do you think as Christians we're missing out on if we don't take the time to um, to mourn, um, like as in natural mourning, but also spiritually mourning, the mourning of our individual and collective brokenness? Well, you'll always seek that comfort in some other area, Mm, some other ways. I mean, one of the things that uh, I see here amongst non-Indigenous peoples here in my country anyways is that they've lost connection to their spirituality, their dreaming or whatever it is because they've been brought over here. Mm. And so here they are going out searching for it again. Um, and so you'll search for it through different other spiritualities. Mm. And so I've seen this huge big increase in, you know, Eastern mysticisms and, and other Eastern religions other than their own. Mm. And so the disconnect is quite strong and very powerful. And so mm. there's this, this forever searching. So it's not something in the future, it's something in the present that is being experienced by people and they're experiencing it in ways in which they don't know where to look for their comfort anymore mm. or they will try to find it in uh, capitalism or materialism and, and build a little uh, fences around it so this is my comfort zone here and this is where I will stay here and mm. I don't want any discomfort to come into my little comfort zone here yeah. and I'll do ev- everything I can to keep it out and, and Australia is very good at, you know, in recent times anyways. Our Prime Minister just bought a $70 billion sub yeah. <laughs> to protect our comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's such an interesting point, though. Like, I feel like so much of what we chase after is about instant gratification, um, but the season of Lent is all about anticipation, like where we're um, intentionally anticipating the death and resurrection of Jesus and our redemption. Um, how, yeah, in the in the day to day, what does it what does it look like to grieve um, to to grieve the individual? Uh, sin and then to be comforted by it like what what is a practical kind of practice um Corey? i think there's a lot of practices that people are experiencing now whether it be you know meditation yoga running until you're exhausted (laughs) (laughs) that is quite therapeutic (laughs) one of the other things that i've noticed too is that people who are trying to find that comfort zone too is through through humor and so we see the Mm. rise of a lot of uh, comedians who make us laugh a lot Uh, or they they have this incredible ability to uh, portray the ridiculousness of our political and social uh, comfort zones, and and, mm. and and make them sound like they, you know, they make that they make lots of money in at, at our at our discomforts, <laughs> mm. or our search for comfort in so many different ways, and so it's uh yeah that's that's the anticipation 
of uh, coming into Lent, uh, they're the things that I think should be highlighted because they're not the things that will bring you the comfort that you require. Mm. And that's what this this particular text is saying, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Mm. But that's within the overall text of not just only Beatitudes, but the whole of the, you've got to take the whole of the uh, um, Sermon on the Mount in its, in its totality to experience what God is saying there. Mm. And that's one of the problems, I think, of Western theology too. It just sort of reduces everything down to little texts, little thoughts, little little things rather than taking the whole yeah. the yeah. whole of the gospel, the whole of the, the story into perspective. Yeah. Mm. What do you feel like that that comfort looks like? Uh, it's the restoration of all of those relationships relationships that we have destroyed in our relationship mm. with our creator and our relationship with our creator and what Jesus came to do when you when you, we're coming into this death and resurrection, we have to realize that what the cross means to us and the resurrection means to us is that it's the restoration, it's the reconciliation of all those things back to its well, uh, back to its original intent, mm. and uh, we're still resisting that original intent, anyways, um, through our own fierce opposition to anything that is. Uh, under God's, under God, or what we think is His control over us. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's not about control. It's about relationship. It always comes back to relationship. Relationship mm. with our Creator. Relationship with each other. Relationship with our His creation. Yeah. And that, to me, is where this whole notion of uh, comfort would 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 you know be. More experience, yeah, yeah, and it, and then the word comfort then becomes much more to encourage people to come to to groups with that, to encourage and to admonish, to to persuade people along those lines, uh, yeah, mm. and and but the closest I can ever get to that experience is just knowing when I'm doing a funeral service that Jesus weeps. He's yeah. there weeping with me and he's weeping with the people. And I can tell tell our community that Jesus is here weeping with us. And he's also saying to us that he has an answer to our uh, sorrows and our loss and our traumas, and that's through his resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so leading into Lent, this this is the, the massive uh, message that uh, is portrayed in that. Mm-hmm. Um Sadly, we've lost that message. It's it's been smothered under with a lot of intellectualism, a lot of theology, mm. lots of other s- silly stuff, uh, and uh, we've we've seemed to have lost what that message really means for us in these kind of situations. Mm. Because we're, we're we're mourning, we might not look it, but we are in mourning. That estrangement from country, from people from God, uh, that homelessness, that feeling of homelessness all the time. Mm. We're still looking for it. Mm. And yet God has provided for us. Um, it's just that we don't see it as we, we, we try to find our comfort in his church rather than in his kingdom. Mm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And as you said, I think that's, that's a reality for everyone, but probably very specifically so as well for um, for Indigenous people, um, mm-hmm. that estrangement and that dislocation from the land and that sense of mourning that, um, I mean, I, I don't think we as, as white fellow folk have a communal sense of mourning very well, mm-hmm. even in terms of our, we don't do... Um, <laughs> We don't do even funerals and stuff very well, I don't think, as white people. But as in in general for Indigenous people, it's a, I think probably there's been a culture of mourning because of the realities of, of genocide, et cetera, et cetera, that have happened over so many years in Australia. I'm wondering what can we, what can we, what can I learn from um from you as someone who sits within that culture um, who has experienced such um, experienced the systematic forces that are brought about such mourning for you what can I what can we learn from you in that because um, I don't do mourning well and I run from it uh, and I run from the pain of it <laughs> and the suffering of it I think as we all do but I'm just I'd love to learn from you and and from culture what what does that look like for us how to do that well how do we mourn well i suppose is what i'm asking how do i advise you how to mourn well <laughs> <laughs> just light questions we're asking yeah. <laughs> light monday morning uh, well the, there is a scripture i think if you're looking for wisdom is to uh, go down to the to the graveside there where the mourners are and sit with them and yeah. uh, try to feel what they're feeling and experiencing what they're experiencing. Perhaps go even, even go and sit in the graves in, in, in a cemetery and uh, just yeah. look at, read the, read the inscriptions there and see what, what kind of uh, uh, emotions come up with you and see if you can feel the loss of those individuals. Mm. And if you can start to feel that, then you might be able to get a sense of uh, the deep mourning that is uh, is reflected in this particular text. Mm. Um, but if you can't mourn, then you, how can you experience it? Or if you can, you'll try to continue to escape it. How can you experience it? How can you understand this this particular text? Mm. But yeah, it, it does mean going there and experiencing that. And but not only that is it's also not not just running from it, but accepting it, and then um, uh, uh, working your way through that in your own way yeah. to some kind of uh, deeper acceptance. I mean, you know, Kubler Ross came out with the eight stages of grieving, and I think a lot of people are still in the first stage there of denial. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And they haven't moved from that. When they do move from it, uh, uh, they get into the anger stage, and that's where they get. It just goes around in cycles, and you know, mm. it's it's either denial or it's blaming or it's anger, and it just goes around in circles. So they don't get to the seventh stage of really accepting it, mm. work through it. I think it's really important to understand what grieving is all about. And what grief grief does to you, and how you go through these particular stages, and you need to sit with that, 
mm. and saying, okay, which stage am I at? Mm. Um, when I do a funeral service, the best thing that I can do at a funeral service with our people is to make sure that when they're walking away from here, they can walk away with some hope in their heart. Yeah. That if 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 yeah. if I can walk away and I can see on their faces that they have a smile, they can come up and say, "I feel at peace with this." Yeah, that my friend or my lover or my husband or my wife or my son has passed on now, but I feel a sense of peace. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that's my job done, but all I'm saying is that's the resurrection, the life within that moment. Yes. With that, what they're experiencing. And I can say, yeah, thank you, Jesus, for weeping with us. And thank you, Jesus, for saying you're the resurrection in life because that's hope. Mm. And I don't have to preach a big, big, long-winded sermon about that. Yeah. It's much more in the ways in which the Spirit reveals himself at that particular moment mm. uh, in, into the lives of those people who, who are in, you know, incredible trauma. Mm. And they might have been like in this particular community going from one funeral to another funeral to another funeral. Wow. And it becomes wow. too normalised in some, some cases that we don't know really that we are in deep mourning or mm. in any of those stages of grieving. Yes. And sometimes people can get locked away in just one stage of denial and it creates so much more other mental health issues as well as other kinds yes. of uh, difficulties for them in this in their own own lives, and they don't even understand that they're going through those kind of uh, stages. And once you unlock it, then they're free. Yes. Yeah. That, that yeah. to me is is resurrection life again. Well, because I mean, initially, it's such a frightening thing the thought of sitting with your grief because. I mean, one, it's completely uncomfortable, and two, you don't know in the moment how long it's going to last for, and that's freaking frightening. Um, and But, yeah, the, the idea of acknowledging it and caring for it, but also the beauty of knowing that a divine God, our divine God is weeping with us, and, and also is not going to leave us here. Like that, the weeping isn't the end of the story. Um, that is hope. That is such incredible hope. And so it's uh, it's so inviting us to not skate over the difficult, um, to embrace the difficult and embrace the hope simultaneously. I love that idea of the weeping God, hey? Mm. Yes, yeah. I mean, he is the weeping God. He he is the wounded one. I mean, he's a bruised God. Mm. Uh, um, uh, and as we come to Lent, through Lent, I, sh I should say, the 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 wounded God, the, the the God that we have hurt the most, and yet we say we love him most. <laughs> mm. <laughs> You know, his appearance was marred beyond human resemblance. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you, wow. how do you come to grips with a lot of the things that we have done? I wanted just to just to finish. We'll have to finish off here, but just kind of one last question as we finish off. 
for me, I think it's also important to broaden this out to um, the weeping, groaning, mourning of the earth, um, mm. that the creation is groaning. Uh, and you've just been, you've just spent some time at, at COP26 at the, uh, the climate change um, summit conference thing over in Glasgow. And I've loved reading your reflections while you were over there. And a lot of those reflections were full of mourning. Um, I'd love you maybe just to finish off by reflecting a little bit on that experience for us uh, and what, what, how this verse speaks into, into that for you. Well, I didn't have a platform over there. I didn't go in there with a, uh, you know, with with that kind of thing. I was very blessed to be able to get get a ticket into the door through Kena, which is the uh, Climate Action Network, and so they gave us a pass in there. If you look at that whole uh, COP experience from the very first to the twenty sixth, the very first one, I think nineteen eighty eight. I don't think we have come to grips with the environmental destructions that we have placed upon Mother Earth. Mm. And from an Indigenous perspective, that's just one of the things that we have taken through to every COP26. Even before that, we've always been up saying, you know, land rights, don't, don't mine here, don't destroy this, don't do this, because we know and we knew that we were harming God's creation. Mm. And because uh, um, to us, all of all of land is sacred. Everything is sacred because God made it that way. Mm. And so you can't, you know, separate sacred from secular. It's, everything is whole. Um, if you start from that perspective, I think that's the biblical perspective as well. I don't think I, I don't see a separation of sacred and secular in the scriptures, mm. even in Jesus's teaching. Um, and so coming from that <clears throat> basic premise, when I was over there, uh, here is an opportunity uh, for me anyways to see all the nations of the world coming together to discuss a humanitarian crisis, a human rights crisis, a creation crisis. Mm. And I think they've all done poorly. Mm. I think they've let the whole of humanity down again. And particularly our government have been one of the most recalcient um, in the ways in which uh, I felt a very deep stab in the heart when I went to the pavilion that they had and noticed that the, it was, uh, the Australian pavilion was funded by the fossil fuel industry, the mining companies, Mm-hmm. And it was propped up by these, and these are the ones who are telling the world that they had the solution to climate change, and yet they're the ones who did all the damage in the first place. Mm-hmm. So that deceitfulness, that hypocrisy was, I think, for too many people, it was just too big for them to comprehend that this was hypocrisy and deceitfulness and lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when our... Prime Minister went over there. I know he went over there with a lump of coal in one hand, a $50 billion sub in the other, and a a secret microchip in his back pocket that says we're going to solve climate change. (laughs) You realise that you're just, our our people are being hoodwinked. They're being lied to. And it seems like we're back in the garden again. We prefer the lie than the truth. Mm. And... uh, 
the other thing I wanted to experience there was some, uh, you know, if I wanted to know more about climate change, yes, I'd go and read another study on it or another. Uh, it's it's there on the news every day. You can pick up the newspapers. You can read all these wonderful articles on it from day dot. But I wanted to know what God was saying there. What is the Spirit mm-hmm. of the Lord saying to me in particular? How do I then listen to his voice? Because this is his creation we're talking about. Mm. It's, not a, it's not Scotty Morrison's. Mm. It's not these all these nations of the world. This is his creation. And you get a completely different perspective when you listen to the Spirit of the Lord. And, and, and suddenly I was taken back into the book of Daniel. And uh, particularly, you know, Belshazzar's feast uh, with the handwriting on the wall. <laughs> tickle, tickle. <laughs> uh, was it tickle, tickle, parson, tickle, tickle, something, parson. Uh, your days are numbered. Yeah. You've been weighed in the balances. Separation's going to come, what change is going to come. Hmm. And I sat with that, and I'm still sitting with that. I'm still sitting with that kind of incredible voice in my spirit and uh, trying to unravel this mystery that God has revealed to us over there. It's scary. Hmm. It, it is totally scary. Hmm. We can't continue to mess up his house, hmm. his, his creation, and get away with it. It's impossible. So, so I see COVID and all these other kinds of things that are coming through, these zootic diseases. He's using his own uh, creation to actually warn us. <laughs> yeah. And the ways in which we see now the uh, rise in seawaters, the different climates that are coming in, the changes of the seasons. Even in the book of Daniel, he says, I will change the seasons. Mm. And I think there's so much, uh, not just in, in the book of Daniel, but in other, other passages there where he will use the ways in which he's, he's developed his creation to change some of the ways in which it operates, yeah. just to remind us who he is mm. and how far we can go before he says, well, your days are numbered. <laughs> You've been weighed in the balances. <laughs> It's time yeah. for a change. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Such good reflections. Um, thank you, Ray, for speaking to all that yeah. from the environmental perspective, cultural perspective, personal, spiritual perspective. It's it's Very wonderful valuable. to get to... <laughs> It's wonderful to get to sit in this place of mourning with you for, for a bit. Oh, worries, mate. If there's any anyone, any lawyers coming after me, I'm going to say, oh, no, go and talk to Joel and uh, Ray. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Look forward to it. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so good so to much. Yeah. yeah. Okay, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> you too. Thank you so much again to Uncle Ray. That was just 
I didn't want that chat to end. I know. I just, every time I talk with Ray, it's the same. You're like, just keep on chatting, keep on chatting. Though he loves to go off in like tangents and you're like, keep on chatting. And then you're like, what are you saying? (laughs) Oh, I get it now. I get it now. Totally. He teaches you the beautiful art of listening deeply, I reckon. Yes. And what really stuck out to me is just the fact that God is an empathetic God. Mm. It's That's just so beautiful and so helpful um, in grief and in sadness to know that he is sitting beside you grieving mm. and also sad that you're sad as like as a father would be yeah and even when we're talking environmental issues indigenous Mm. indigenous peoples whatever um the reality is of so much of our fractured world the fact that god sits with us in the mess um, as as the weeping god as the weeping god Mm. um, that is one of the most beautiful comforting things Um, Indeed, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Thanks so much for being with us here, everyone. Uh, Make sure you go and check out tfund.org.au if you want to read up some more uh, about Tfund and what is happening in our world. Um, And we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us.